I think life happens after that. You go to college and you start drinking beer and chasing women and fly fishing didn't happen as much. And then I, I hit like my 30s and my rock bottom, I was homeless living on the streets and uh, got into rehab, got sober, and I, I re-embraced fly fishing as my passion like I did drinking. I uh, turned my life around and made made the decision to, to put my life in a better path and be on the river more. That was Brian Kosminski with a sobering real-life story of another person saved by fly fishing. Can I get an amen, brother? This is the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. Welcome to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show, where you discover tips, tricks, and tools from the leading names in fly fishing today. Hey, how you doing today? Please take a quick moment if you've been listening to the show in the past and want to leave us a quick review. You can either click in your app or go to wetflyswing.com love and leave us a quick rating and review. Would love if you've been enjoying the show and you can give us some love over there. That would be much appreciated. Rare Gear makes truly unique and innovative fishing gear to help you travel lighter, faster, and fish more. This telescoping fly rod doesn't need guides and packs up small enough to fit in the pocket of your backpack. This is likely the most unique rod you've seen this year. You're going to have to check this one out for yourself. Head over to raregear.com to uh, take a look at this unique rod right now. That's rare, R-E-Y-R, gear.com. Trestle designs, engineers, and manufactures industry-leading outdoor products in premium apparel. From their patented, game-changing telescopic fly rod carrier and their specialized waterproof cases and fly boxes, to their magnetic nipper system that are revolutionizing the way people snip their line. Please head over to wetflyswing.com slash trestle to get started today. That's trestle, T-R-X-S-T-L-E. You support this podcast by clicking over to check out Trestle now. How you doing, Brian? I am excellent, Dave. How are you doing? Good, good. Thanks for uh, putting this together. We've been chatting a little on the side uh, about different various things, fly fishing and you know the Midwest and the industry and all that stuff. Um, we're gonna we're gonna be all over the place on this one. We talked about that, but uh, you've got uh, True North uh, Trout, and we're gonna talk a little about how all that came to be, and and maybe dig into some on streamers and Browns. Um, but take us back really quickly to how you first got into fly fishing. Then we'll bring you up to date on wherever where you're at now. Sure, and that that's kind of your your mo. We've got to we got to establish a, a base ground line, right? Um, my story's not a whole lot different than most other industry professionals. You know, dad and grandpa introduced me to the fly rod when I was nine years old at a trout pond. Uh, I went home and tied on my dad's vice. I had to make the best little pellet fly, go back to the, the pond and try to catch that, that big rainbow or whatever. Um, I think life happens after that. You go to college and you start drinking beer and chasing women and fly fishing didn't happen as much. Um, then I, I hit like my thirties and my rock bottom, I was homeless living on the streets and, uh, got into rehab, got sober. And I, I re-embraced fly fishing as my passion. Like I did drinking. Wow. I, uh, turned my life around and made, made the decision to, to put my life in a better path and be on the river more. Wow. Wow. I didn't uh, realize that, that history there. So 
That's pretty crazy. What, what, I mean, so alcohol, obviously that's always a major thing. Um, talk about that a little bit. What, what was, um, you know, how do you find yourself on the street and then how did you not, uh, how did you survive? <laughs> it's, it's crazy because it's such a, a dark, cold place to be. And I, I only bring it up because there's other people out there that are going through the same thing and they don't think there's any way out. Yeah. And not only you, but, and people we see, I mean, out here, I mean, there's huge homeless camps all over the city. I mean, like, like there, you can't miss it. Literally there's gigantic camps and, but I mean, a lot of people maybe aren't homeless, but they have family members that are, or they know people. Right. So, I mean, it's a reality. Absolutely. 100%. And, um, I don't think, especially as we went through this pandemic, uh, I still attend AA meetings and I do open speakers, how hard would it be to actually go to a meeting when we weren't having meetings and then meetings went to virtual? There's very little accountability in your own recovery when you're doing a zoom. Right. So I think it's, it's pandemic was a perfect setup for you to stay home. You got to check might as well play PlayStation, get high and get drunk. I think we cultivated a whole new alcoholic era and it's, wow. it's a tough issue to deal with. Wow, that is crazy. Yeah, I never even thought about it that way with the COVID. And, and I think we might dig a little bit into COVID, and maybe we'll dig a little more into this um, at the end. Um, but let's keep on the fly fishing here for a little bit and talk about. So, so 30, so, so you're on the street. You're on the street. So you find a way, you get off the street. How And then how does the, the, the true north and like, I mean, how does fly fishing find you back? So because I clean myself up and got a better life. Um, I was still working in the restaurant industry, bartending, managing restaurants. And, um, I met my wife on the streets in Grand Rapids. She walked by every day and, uh, we kind of nicknamed her like the Jennifer Aniston cause she went by at three o'clock <laughs> and I had the, the gonads to go out and say, hi, we eventually hooked up, got married, had a child and she was from up north, so she said, let's move up north. And I was like, let's go. So we did. Wow. Yep. And uh, another gentleman reached out to me, and he was looking to retire his True North Trout page. Uh, and he was going to move to Florida, and he wanted to give it to me because I was local chapter, Trout Unlimited president, uh-huh. uh, active, involved in everything in the outdoors and conservation. And so it was in my hand, in my lap, and my wife, at first I was very hesitant. I didn't want to take a blog over and do writing, yeah. but my wife said it would be very good experience. I would learn a lot from it. She was completely correct and true, yeah. and it's it's kind of made me who I am today. Yeah. Yeah, that's your that's what it's all about, and you, you see it out there. And I can't remember how we first connected. I'm sure it was something somewhere along the lines uh, through that, you know, through what you have going there. And, um, well, I wanted to dig into, we've got a bunch of topics and like I said, we're probably going to be all over the place in this one, but the, the Manistee is, is a, is a river that definitely is a, a major river. There's a lot going out there. I wanted to dig into that and maybe focus a little bit on, you know, maybe a year in your guiding. So, um, so let's talk about that. First, take us to the Manistee. If we're thinking, um, let, let's start with, um, streamers and maybe brown trout. What are we looking at there? When is, when is that hopping? When's the busy time for that? Uh, it's going to be starting in the next couple of weeks. Uh, April, May, April's awesome because fish are coming off their winter. They need to start picking up some food. Uh, the Manistee is a, 
is a very cool, unique river. We've got 230 miles. There's two major dams on it. We've got the Tippy and the Hoden Pile. In between the Tippy and the Hoden Pile is a very unique fishery. It's almost like out west. There's not a whole lot of houses or cabins. Uh, above Hoden Pile is just brown trout and brook trout. They're also looking at uh, reintroducing the Arctic grayling in this hmm. area, in the upper headwaters. This is a, There's a big project going on in Michigan right now. They're going to test five different rivers to reintroduce the grayling. They went to Alaska a few years ago, and they have grayling growing in one of our hatcheries. Um, and then below Tippy, you've got the anadromous section of yep. the river. you got a lot of big salmon, a lot of big steelhead. Steelhead numbers have been low. We've reduced our steelhead take to one limit limit one per day this year and that's going to be on a few select rivers but the sister river to the manistee is the asable on the east side of the state and that's only 120 miles long and it has five or six dams on it uh all run by consumers energy so they're all hydroelectric power um it it becomes a unique fishery i think streamer fishing on the manistee goes from april until september october november how late do you oh, want wow. fish yeah um, there's a lot of bait fish in there. We've got sculpin, we've got darter, dace, and I think, you know, the circus peanut by Russ Madden was, yep. was invented primarily to imitate the chestnut lamprey. Oh, right, right. The lamprey. There yep. you go. See, okay. So, so you're getting ready. And then what is your, and you're basically, are you guiding pretty much throughout the whole year? How's that look? I am not. Um, so our other connection is TFO and you've talked with Rick Pope and you talked with Wanda Taylor. You've talked with a lot yep. of Jake Jordan, a lot of our TFO guys and ladies. Um, yep. I'm a sales rep for TFO. So I do that in the wintertime and go hit fly shops and say hi to everybody and show them new products. And then I try to take people like you out on the river so you can cast a new TFO and then go to your local fly shop and say, Hey, I need to get that Axiom 2X or I need to get the new legacy that you guys talked about. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So TFO, that's the the other connection. Yeah. We've had a ton of uh, great episodes there. So, okay. Uh, and we're probably going to, we'll probably touch on the TFO too. Uh, so you're guiding. So pretty much you're starting, do you start kind of like right now with your guide season or when do you start getting hot? couple more weeks. Uh, we're going to round out the season here with a couple more fly shows. I've got Detroit coming up this weekend. And then next week I go down to Lexington, Kentucky to hang out with Blaine Chocolate at Quest Outdoors for a fly tying event. Um, and then May starts rolling around and we we get Hendrickson's popping. So we get the dry fly action for brown trout. And if the bugs cooperate with the weather. It can be absolutely fun and explosive to catch a, a nice fish on the surface. Um, otherwise, we we have to wait for the hex, the big bugs, and nighttime fishing becomes our primary target. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So then you get, and we've had at least uh, one episode where we kind of dug into that a little bit. So, so basically, when you get out, people are coming to you if they're calling you right now, saying, "Hey, I want to get out on a trip." Um, you know, starting you know, sometime soon or in the next few months, what, what do you tell that person? When should they be coming? May and June are your primary target months. They are booked up right now. So then secondary becomes either later in the season. I think October is just an absolutely spectacular time of the year to be on the river. You have less canoe kayak traffic. You know, the recreational users have mm. gone back to school or college and the river becomes quiet again. 
The other part is too, a lot of people are, we're going to be in your area in July. We'd love to go fishing with you during the day, my dad or I or whatever, but the water temperatures get a little bit too, we're, we're going to be pushing that 70 degree mark. So we have to institute the hoot owl restrictions and not oh, fish right. during the day. And a lot yep. of people don't fish at night. They're just, well, we want to see, we want to see where we're fishing because it's the first time in Michigan. I get it, but you've got to pick a you know, earlier in the year or later in the year. Yeah. Um, and that's right. why we or mouse. At night. Exactly. So that's why we're mousing in July and August because we can hit the river at eight or nine o'clock at night. The river temperature is dropping, getting back into the 65 degree below range and we can fish until four in the morning. Yeah. That's it for exactly. So because <laughs> it's light out till 11 o'clock at night, right? Oh, really? Right. So it's, yeah, it's light, late out there. We do have, you know, June 21st, longest day of the year, and that's when we're hex fishing. The sun goes down at 1035, 1045, and you still have a little bit of ambient light almost to 11 o'clock at night. Gotcha. Gotcha. And then August, and then come September, October. We're back to short days. Back into short days, and, and but still fishing hard. Yep. Huh. That's really cool. Yeah. So you got a, so you got a full season going there, and, and like you said, so basically – the the mousing and and but april so come around april you're going to be getting some streamer action kind of going on yes we can either chase browns or go chase steelhead That's, or steelhead those are your choices yep and if it's if the water's too warm in july and august you can hit smallmouth we've got the great lakes and lots of lots miles and miles of shoreline opportunity for 20 inch smallmouth bass on a streamer any day of the week yeah, yeah, there you go. So, and on if we're taking if we just stay on kind of the manistee with with the streamers, mm-hmm. uh, and you're thinking April, how are we? What, what are you getting ready for? Like, if you're getting ready to go out there, what's that look like? Like, as far as like uh, flies, gear, you know, is it kind of your normal streamer session? Like we've kind of probably talked about. It is a normal normal streamer session, but not normal like when we go out to Montana or Colorado. You know, they they consider a streamer you know, a slump buster or, uh, autumn splendor. We're, we're throwing mostly articulated flies in the five to six, six inch range. Um, and we're usually throwing a seven, eight, even a nine weight because throwing a fly of that size all day long, you need something that's going to be able to pick that fly up out of the water and deliver it. I'm a big fan of scientific anglers. So we're going to use the, uh, sonar titan sync you know intermediate three Mm -hmm. five seven or something that's going to get the fly down uh i need to be able to make a quick roll cast when i can because sometimes the river gets braided there'll be an island and you take the the smaller section or the section there's always a tree behind you you need to pick that fly up and deliver it into a pocket as close as you can to the wood and get it down as fast as you can into the wood into the wood. So you're casting. So these browns or any of the species that are really tucked in around the wood. They are. That's their, their primary lie is safety zone and they're underneath large woody debris. They, they're not going to hang out on the flats where it's sandy and they're exposed to overhead predation, ospreys, eagles, you name it. But, uh, I think that's what makes our fisheries a little bit more unique. We've got a lot more structure. There's so many targets once in a while, I'll get a client from Pennsylvania and they'll float down the river and they don't know what to cast at because they're used to being in a river that's pretty well, you know, sterilized. There's not a whole right. lot of structure in it. And you could honestly cast left side or right side all day long. There's no wrong side. 
<laughs> you know, there's oh, yeah. always there's fish hiding somewhere. Hiding somewhere. And, and how do you keep from getting, you know, not getting snagged up on wood all day? Are you just kind of, you're, you're probably not getting it too close? You've got to be paying attention. Your head on a swivel all the time. Yeah. And the man, so again, are we talking... Well, let's take it back. So if we're, if I'm coming, it sounds like you're booked up, but if you weren't and I was coming to fish with you, say, you know, April or May, somewhere in there, where, where would we be heading? Uh, usually it's, you've got a lot of river miles. So from M72 down to 66, there's a lot of flies only section water in there and it, it's intimate. It's a little bit smaller. That's the only section that we can float in a drift boat. Above 72, you can bring a long boat, the uh, traditional Asable style, hmm. or oh, yeah. like one of the uh, two-man Smithfly rafts, the inflatables can yep. handle it. But all that water holds a lot of fish because there's so much, so many, so much available food in this river system. So many bugs. It's a great macroinvertebrate, and there's hmm. a lot of, a lot of small sculpins and stuff that are living crayfish as well. Um, I think crayfish is a, a primary food source besides the chestnut lamprey. Once you get mm-hmm. below 66, um, you're heading towards Fife Lake. The river gets larger and slower. And then below 31, it's there's very big brown trout, but there's also walleye and smallmouth. So it becomes uh, you're, hunt, you're hunting for that unicorn. It's just one big oh. fish that's going to make your day. Um, yep. But there, you're also seeing a lot more other anglers that will be in there that might be using salted minnows underneath the bobber, you know, because mm. it's not just flies only. So mm-hmm. when you start competing with other angling pressure where people can use live bait, flies generally become less attractive to the fish. They can still work. I'm not saying they don't. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when we're floating the Jordan, if I've got to have a boat in front of me and they're bouncing spawn bags and I'm behind them with a streamer or a stonefly nymph the fish are only going to eat the spawn bags before they eat the stonefly nymph yeah yeah right right so gotcha and, and you're using uh, your boat of if you can get a drift boat in you're using adipose or what, what do you got there yes uh, i had i had the first adipose in michigan back in 2011 uh absolutely love the boat it's perfect perfect low profile uh great storage great stability some of my clients have either hip or knee issues. They can get it out of the boat, and it's comfortable for them all day long. I think that's that's key. Yeah, easy access. It is easy. These are what, what's the boat uh, style called? This isn't like your typical high side drift boat, right? It's a skiff, and their model is called the Flow. Um, Flow, and it just has a lower profile, and the the base platform looks like a large football shape so that surface mm-hmm. area keeps the boat super stable there's not a whole lot of rocker all right so you don't have to have somebody lean to the other side of the boat when you're trying to net the fish because i can stand on the side of the boat and there's no it's not that's different. great mm-hmm. that's great that's really cool so and you're out there in this lower it sounds like the the 66 or wherever it's big enough that, to get your boat in you're floating down and when you're if you're targeting these browns with the streamers are you fishing mostly out of the boat or all all out of the boat we will stop every once in a while if there's a nice sandbar or a gravel bed that we can fish out of um sometimes it's nice to just get out of the boat, stretch your legs, get wet, wait yeah. around, and you can pick apart water a little bit better then. But for the most part, if you put your boat in and you're going to float, you know, 10, 12 miles in a, a day, you don't have a whole lot of time to stop and 
play around. Otherwise, you're gonna right. you might not get to the better water at that time of the day. Like let's say ISOs are gonna hatch at seven o'clock. You need to get down to mile X when those mm. bugs start to happen. Otherwise, you're gonna miss the hatch and miss the time. So there's right. a lot of timing that goes on, and I don't think the clients understand that. You can't just like make you you can't put the motor on and kick it into high gear and get down to where you need to go. No, um, there's a lot of strategic logistics that go into it. You're moving, you're <laughs> moving. So when you're moving our guys, I mean, like, you know, again, back to the, the streamers, are, are you fishing, you know, while you're moving or how are you covering the water and not kind of missing good water? How, how's all, all that look? Absolutely. You are left, right, left. And as the guide sitting in the middle, yeah. uh, kind of telling you targets that I know where fish have been productive, uh, what you need to hit. Obviously, you know, be aware of what's behind you. And we are fishing as we're moving. That's the only way you can do it. But you're you're just repeatedly banging logs, banging the yeah. banks. You're hitting targets. It's kind of like you're in the Olympics when you're on skis and you've got the rifle and you're yep. just going along. You're hitting <laughs> your target and you just keep on going. Just keep on going. And when a fish hits, we slide off to the side in the soft water and, and bring them in, get a shot, let them go. Yeah, that's sweet. Yeah, so you're basically just banging down and you're you're fishing and and yeah, if you wanted to get out and stretch, you could and or if somebody I guess was coming in there they didn't have a boat, are people actually like walking wading and covering ground through there too? Absolutely. And so what's unique about the Manistee is there's a lot of little feeder creeks that kick into it that keep that keeps the water temperature a little bit lower. So there's a decent population of brook trout in the middle of that bigger water. Hmm. Um and we also that brings me back to the July, August, when the water temperature is too warm down below. We can do wade trips in the Pigeon State Forest, the Pigeon, the Black, the Sturgeon, Upper mm-hmm. Jordan. There's lots of water that we can wade fish that's going to be cold because we're at the headwaters where that water bubbles up out of the ground. And it's going to be 55, 60 degrees all year long. Yeah. It's wow. going to be brook trout fishing. It's more intimate. It's more of what we call like the Hemingway experience where you're catching 10 to 12 inch brook trout, you're not going to catch a 20 inch, you know, brown unless there happens to be one in there, but there aren't very many big browns in the uh, upper water stretches. Oh, yeah, yeah. No. So it's basically the big browns. Well, you go low for the real big ones, but midway, you could find more, more, a little bit smaller. Uh, I mean, it sounds like it's just this thing's loaded. I mean, you would, I would imagine there's just like lots of people with all these opportunities. Does it feel a little busy during the peak of the season? So in the past two years, yes, we've had a lot more boats on the river. We've had a lot more anglers because people were looking for that ultimate outdoor experience. They're either camping or hiking or mountain biking, kayaking. There has been a lot more traffic on the water. Um, they are looking at different restrictions for how many guides and how many boats can be on the water. We have that on the Pier Marquette. There's only, I think there's 25 or 26 allowed guides on the yeah because it's a federal fishery and it's a license and we may that may spread to other rivers in the state of michigan just to regulate the amount of traffic we can't have a ton of pressure yeah the other thing we need to think about too is we're we're more people more pressure less fish we're not stocking like we used to in the 80s Maybe we need to give a river a rest and alternate rivers that are open one year and then close the next year. I don't 
Yeah. The Niners are considering a whole lot of different options right now. Right, right, right. Yeah, just as as you know, changes in fishing pressure and just right, like uh, what climate, other variables are changing. Yeah, I mean, we're our temperatures are going up, and we're seeing longer sections in the middle of the summer where we can't fish, period, at all. Um, and that's when we're we're moving to the nighttime fishing or fishing the upper sections of water. But when somebody comes out to Michigan and they fished in Montana or Wyoming. And they think that wading in Michigan is going to be a lot like out west. We've got a lot more mud. We have a lot more beaver dams. We have a lot more. Mm -hmm. When you walk through the water, you're kicking up muck and you're just making everything downstream a cloud of milky coffee. Out west, you're walking on rock and you've got grass or you can fish. It's a different fishery in Michigan. Gotcha. You can't have five guys. Yeah, that's why the boat fishing is... Drifting is a little bit more effective at times. If I were just to go out with you and I and go fish the upper Jordan, we could target a whole bunch of little brook trout that are feeding in a pond, but you can't have four or five clients all at the same time doing that in the same day and expect to have equally good experience. All right. Gotcha. Okay. Some of these smaller waters, we have to give them a rest. We can't, we can't bang them up every day. With more than 40 years of experience in coffee, the Angler's Coffee team roasts a full range of coffees with one goal in mind, delivering excellent coffee to every angler. Responsibly sourced from farms using sustainable growing practices, you can rest easy knowing you're doing your part. And also, roasted and shipped within 48 hours? Unbelievable. Angler's has got it rolling. And you know I love Angler's. I've got my mix of uh trying out the dark and some of the medium roast and you can check it out right now check out the artist series uh, a dollar for each sale goes to casting for recovery if you purchase the artist series that would be amazing they have a blend for every taste a dry dropper um, and joe's just got it all going on so you need to check out anglers right now head over to wetflyswing.com anglers a-N-G-L-E-R-S to make a big change and support a good cause today. Okay, back to the show. And, uh, you know, again, I guess sticking with the uh, the Manistee or some of the bigger water, um, we're, we're kind of talking a little bit about that July or that uh, April, May, you know, June, you got the hex, I guess the hatch is coming off. And then you get into July, August, things get hot. But really, like you said, that's where you either go higher up in the basin or you just fish for, uh, I mean, the mousing, right? You mentioned the mousing. Now, where is that going to be happening in July, August? So mousing can be a little bit different it's almost like when you take a picture and you look at the polar negative of a river you know the spots that you would normally cast during the day with a streamer you would cast on the complete opposite side at nighttime if you were mousing I mean, why is it there's the sandlot theory and this goes back to tommy lynch and a whole bunch of other guys before him uh, i would dare say that kelly gallup uh, our streamer Mm-hmm. Uh, big browns they've done telemetry studies where most big browns are active between 4 and 6 a.m just before sunrise they're out hunting looking for their food their meal of the day whether it's a, a small sculpin or a darter or a crayfish their prey are less suspecting when it's dark out and they 
it's kind of like a killer whale hunts a seal next to an island. The big brown will go into shallower water. We call it the sand flats or the sand lot. And they will hunt smaller fish because they're using the, the shallowness of the river as the 13th defense off defensive player. Hmm. That fish can't escape the predator because he's only got X amount of volume of water cover. Huh. Exactly. Wow. So when you're mousing, you should be sh- throwing into the shallow side and you slowly skate it. That's it. So the opposite. Yep. And everybody does a lot. They've, everybody has their own theory on what, what triggers a brown to attack. Do you need to go slow? Do, are they following the wake? I've watched videos of mice on YouTube. They swim through the water. They're, they're swimming pretty frantic. They're not in a, they're not in a happy zone where they want to be. So they're no. trying to get the heck out. Yeah. That's it. So you're, you're really like kind of stripping it across or like, uh, doing a lot of commotion. Small twitch on the tip of the rod to give that a little vibration down the line. Uh huh. If your fly has like rubber legs or it has a rubber tail, it can give a little bit more of a vibration. The theory comes that in August, a lot of our seed pods at the end of the grass, the mice are climbing up them to eat the seed pod. Mm. They're too heavy. The grass falls over. They fall in the river. There's another theory too that mice are a lot like deer and the buck mouse is going to be looking for his best female opportunity. And they will swim across territory to find other mating (laughs) opportunities. There's a whole, if you could be like three inches tall and go from the mouse world, there's a whole cosmos of different ecosystems going on. Crazy. It is. Who's, who's the mouse? Is there, is there a mouse? Like who would you recommend? Who's the, like the mouse guru or somebody who, who could, we could look more into this. One of my other buddies, Bill Bellinger, he's on the Jordan 300 days of the year, and he's poked a few absolute monster pigs. Yeah. He knows his mice. Yeah. Yeah. There I you go. Bill. There's a lot of guys down in the white in Arkansas, um, but they're using also a lot of tandem, like, deceiver flies. They're just looking for flies that are pushing water. They're pushing awake. Mm-hmm. Um, and they don't mouse the same as we do in Michigan. It's a different, it's a totally different fishery down there because they put yeah. 2 million rainbows in the river and those rainbows are fodder for big browns. I mean, it's huh. <laughs> different. Yeah. It's, it's a different frenzy. God, that is cool. Yeah. So there's a, a whole bunch going here. So you got the mousing. We, we talked a little about, um, you know, that, and as you get into kind of September, things start to cool down. Now you get back into, I mean, when do you start getting back into streamers in the fall? If... <sighs> September's a good time to do that. Um, yeah. Your end of August, September, we can do terrestrial fishing. You're throwing hoppers, ants. Uh, the first, second week in September, we always see a flying ant hatch. It seems to be like when we have a couple cool nights, then we get like a nice 70-degree day. You will find ants migrate. They, they, The colony will grow wings, and they fly to find new territory. And when they hmm. hit the water, trout will key in on a cinnamon ant over any other bug anything that's on the water. And if you can't figure out why they're not hitting your fly, put on a little 16 ant and all of a sudden it will all come together for you. Oh, wow. There you Terrestrial go. fishing can be a lot of fun for Browns still Browns as well. Uh, Brookies Browns, you know, you, you have to key in on areas where, you know, there's a big fish living there and wait for him to show himself. But if you're just floating down the river and you're drifting, a Amy's ant with a, you know, a little, 
crinse nymph behind it or a hare's ear, you're going to pull fish out of the water almost all day long because they will, they're looking up, they're looking for that opportunistic hopper that gets blown into the water. Hmm. Yep. And it's a lot of fun. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The terrestrials are awesome. So, so you got the terrestrials rolling and then, and then how's that if you take us out through the, the season? So we're kind of September, October, November before it starts getting real cold. What's that look like? So let's play September and October. A lot of people come to Michigan because they want to catch a 25, 30 pound king salmon. I avoid that crowd and stay in the upper water because all of a sudden nobody's fishing the manistee. They're on the lower stretch trying to snag salmon and we're right. still brown trout. We're we're throwing streamers, we're throwing circus peanuts, we're throwing bangtails, we're throwing uh, sculpins or whatever, krakens, hog snare, something big, something huh. that's pushing water. As your season goes along, your your bait fish get bigger and your bugs get bigger, but then there's a point where all of a sudden it goes in the reverse. Like bugs only get big until middle of June are hex. And then all of a sudden the bugs are smaller because they're in their second or third instar. Same things happen with all of your smaller fish. Now, once you get into October, you're going to have to use a smaller fry pattern that looks like a salmon egg that just hatched. Oh, wow. If you're fishing below a dam, because those predatory fish are either eating eggs (laughs) there. You can tell, you can tell a Brown that's fat on eggs. He just looks like an egg. Yeah, sloppy, sloppy, like fat belly. <laughs> and what fish passes on the opportunity for an omelet floating down the water? Exactly. They don't. They just eat until they're just like they gorged, do. right? Gluttonous. They're, yeah. It's free protein. There's zero energy expended to get it. Man. And Michigan's got a lot. We have yeah. a lot of big fish that move into all of our rivers, and they're they're depositing protein left and right. Yeah. You see those pictures of those that you guys have out there, those just slabs of like just gigantic, the folds of fat are kind of rolling over your hands. Butter bellies. Like, yeah. Butter, <laughs> butter. So, so you got this brown thing, which is, which is pretty amazing. And then are, now, do you get much, it sounds like you don't get much into the sand. What about the steelhead? Steelhead? Yes. Because they're, they're a fun fish to catch. They actually bite. They the reason why steelhead are popular all across the country is because it's the ultimate sport fish. It will run, it will jump and it will eat a bug because it's basically a big rainbow trout. It still thinks it's an eight inch rainbow trout and will eat a small bug even when it's 30 inches long. Mm -hmm. And when you have a, a 12 pound rainbow on steelhead and you're in a small tight quarter river, that thing will bend your rod in half. And if you're doing it with a two hand, a switch or a spay, You've got your hands full, and it's a riot. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Are you using now? Uh, we, have, you know, we mentioned TFO at the start. When you're fishing with uh, fishing these browns, let's just take it back to the the, the spring streamers. What's your? Um, I mean, are you using spade type stuff, or is this all nine foot? Uh, most of the rivers that I'm fishing, I'm using an eight and a half or a nine foot, either the old BBK, which is now replaced by the LK Legacy, at a nine foot. It's a great casting rod. During the summertime when I'm doing hoppers or dry fly, I'll use a four weight. It's just a, a fun, enjoyable rod to cast all day long. If I'm throwing strictly streamers, the Axiom 2X has that fast action, can deliver a, a pretty big fly on on target like a laser sighted rifle. Um, I've just recently in the past couple of years started to get into the spay. And a lot of people don't realize that spay works just as well on small rivers as it does the big rivers. Why is that? 
because most of the cast is in front of you. It's in that box in between your shoulders and your hand. You don't bring the line out of the water and lift it up into the sky behind you. It's all right in front of you. Yeah. So you can do your little small D loop and your whatever back cast and roll that forward on a small stream and put the fly across the river and let it drift and swing right where it needs to be. Yeah, that's right. So kind of a more of like a like a trout spay would be great. Some sort of setup there. Exactly what I was going to yeah. say. The trout yeah. spay has blossomed in the past couple of years, um, just like Euro nymphing has. Both effective. Um, I've just gotten into the Euro nymphing too. Everybody likes to push it down, but when the fish aren't biting on the surface or in your zone, they're at the bottom, and you've got to get the fly in front of them. So. Put on six or seven X, tight line it, put that fly right down in front of them with two, you know, a heavy jig fly, your your main point fly, and then Duracell jig or something behind it, Rainbow Warrior, and you'll catch uh-huh. all day long. Yeah, you got that too. Uh, when you're casting in towards the wood, let's just say back, you know, in the uh, for these browns. So when you make that cast, say you, you ping it, hit a wood or a piece of wood, or just get right under the log, then how are you, are you twitching it back? Or what's that look like on your retrieve? Your strips should be aggressive. They should be, you know, six to 10 inches. Um, use the rod, twitch the rod and your hand at the same time. That makes the fly, when you when a fly designer ties a fly, they put in the combination of deer hair, marabou, uh, slap and whatever, and the mm-hmm. flash, you've got to give that fly an immediate pull and let it get to an immediate stop and then give it a jerk again so that Everything gets a chance to completely open, completely flex, and then relax again. That triggers the fly. It's just like when you're playing with a cat underneath the couch and you're trying to get the cat to come out. You've mm, got to dance yep. that that fly in front of the log to make that fish interested, right? Yeah, that's it. I love that. And you're also using a short leader. Um, we rarely go longer than six foot. I'll use a 30-pound three foot section and then i'll go to 15 pound fluoro tied on to that another three feet because i want that fish when i have it on if it's big i need to pull it out of the wood mm-hmm. i don't need that fish to get an opportunity to get down deep into that stuff and have you know eight pound maxima even though it's super strong after a day of casting it's going to get nicked and tore up you don't you don't want to have any weak points so i rarely go below 12 pounds as low as I'll go. Yeah, that's it. So you're using heavy gear. This is good. And like you said, a nine weight rod too, right? Seven, seven and nine. So I, I think a lot of people underestimate a seven weight. I think a seven weight is right for certain flies. If you're throwing a lighter, like a deceiver fly or something that doesn't have a whole lot of lead, I can cast a seven weight for three days without having any shoulder fatigue. Once you start throwing that nine weight for an entire day, you better start popping at, you know, you're throwing Advils in halfway through the day to make sure you can <laughs> keep it. But yeah. you're throwing a much bigger fly. And when it's wet and you're pulling it out of the water, you're you're expelling that water load and loading the rod every time you cast. That's your body, your arm is absorbing some shock. Yeah, cool, cool. So if we keep on this streamer thing, what else should we I be knowing? Should we know about heading up there if we're going to be hitting this? What else haven't we covered here to to get set up? Practice your casts. The guys that I get in my boat and ladies, the ones that are successful, hit the target ninety percent of the time. They are not missing 
prime zones where fish are going to be. How close is the target? Like within, if you're saying within a foot, like a pie plate, they're hitting that target. It's got to be a little bit tighter than that. Sometimes mm. if you're not, if you're not two inches from the log, you're not going to get them to come out because oh, wow. you got to think tight. your first, your first strip. When you pull that fly, you're already pulling it out of the zone. You need to make an upstream mend real quick to let that fly get down for a couple inches. And then you make your initial strip mm. so that your fly is actually dancing right in front of the log or just underneath the log shadow. Gotcha. And you've got to hit that, that bread basket, that sweet spot. Yeah. You say the pie plate, but that pie plate is so in the, the crotch of the, that log coming out of the bank, that crevice, the corner spot, because there's one little spot in there where there's a little bit of slack water if you don't hit that slack water, huh. the current's taking your line between you and the fly and already pulling it out of its zone. Right. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you got it. Because there's a current there. Yeah, they don't think about that. You've Once your fly makes initial contact, get an upstream mend. Let that fly get down a little bit before you make that first strip. Right, right. And, and the currents here, I mean, there must be some variation, but are the currents fairly mi- mild? Uh, We're moving. No, we... Because we're all spring-fed, the the rivers are moving pretty consistent. If we get a good rain, the river's going to be up. Yeah. And you're adding a little bit of cloudiness, a little bit of murkiness with a little bit of rain. So you're going to use a fly that either pushes more water or has a little bit of flash to it so the fish can see it. Yeah. Um, we do pay attention to the old adage, bright day, bright fly, dark day, dark fly. I like a lot uh-huh. of blacks and purples, especially in deeper water. I think fish see that profile and they they will chase that. Um, it's just, it's seasonality too. Yeah. There's a lot going on. I got some buddies of mine that love to play yellow. They'll throw yellow all the time. And I used to be a big fan of yellow, but I'm more now olives and tans. Um, especially tan with a little bit of copper seems to be Uh a very, very successful, attractive. I used to love white, but there isn't a whole lot that exists in nature that is just white. But it's not for the client to throw white because they can see white. They're following white. They're having a good day. But if you have something that has a little bit of dark color and it disappears and it matches the bottom, it's a lot more effective. Yeah. So you're just finding, again, you know, if this was somebody new coming in there, if they were targeting finding spots, you'd just be looking for just a structure, like see a big wood structure you think looks good. Are there any other tips for finding the fish? Sometimes it's the slack water on the the soft inside seam. You know, a fish will rest right in that dark transitional line. The river will go from sandy, sandy, all of a sudden dark cobble. The fish will like to lie right on that cobble line because as a, you know, a wandering bait fish goes across, he can jump out and get him and go right back into his safety zone. Exactly. Nice. You had, did you have a, um, a, uh, a DOS boat episode. Was, was that something you had, you did in the past? <laughs> yes, that was a, uh, it was a great experience. Giannis is a super great dude. Um, we fished for four days. It should have been epic. Um, rain came in, rivers went up, hex absolutely shut down. Nothing happened. We fished for four, three days, day and night. Couldn't move a fish. Couldn't buy a bite. A couple small fish, nothing major, but yeah. By the end, we had to put the motor on the boat and go catch a smallmouth in Lake Charlevoix for dinner. There you go. So this was so this was in uh, in like June when you were doing this. 
It was uh, June 22nd and 23rd. And the funny thing, though, that a lot of people don't understand, when we were planning this whole event, uh, Meat Eater called me up in May, the the editors and programmers, we were, we were going to do a camping set in the Pigeon State Forest, camp on the river, catch some brook trout, cook brook trout on a fire. Let's talk about conservation and the grayling introduction. And then two months later, COVID hit and the DNR shut down all permits for any cooking outdoors or camping outdoors. So we couldn't do the photo shoot that we wanted to do. Um, so we had to quick change everything. We were going to have the boat work done at a local boat shop. They got behind on orders because of COVID. They make million dollar wooden boats. So we had to do everything in the garage. Everything got Every wrench that could possibly be thrown in the monkey plan was thrown in the plan. We made it work. In a way, I'm kind of happy we didn't catch a 24-inch brown on any of the rivers that we fished because if we would have bonked it over the head and brought it home and had it for dinner, it might have been my last guided fishing trip, right? Oh, Roy, that wouldn't have been good. We don't. I get a number of calls a year. People are like, well, we can bring fish home, right? We bring a cooler and fill it up. Nope, you're got the wrong guy why why can't we we're paying you for a trip i said because if i killed my fish if every guide in michigan brought home every fish we caught there wouldn't be anything to catch next week or next year it's like playing basketball and popping the ball every time you make a basket huh but you can't keep you can't keep a brown trout out there if you're fishing we can you can it's completely legal but once a guide if i did that and the fly shop down the road heard that Kaz was bonking fish over the head and bringing fish home. He's not the conservation guy that you were, you know, self-proclaiming right. yourself to be. Yeah. However, taking a fish home out of a river system is sometimes the the healthiest thing for the river system. You know, yep. a 24 inch brown does nothing but he's like the old lion on the savannah. He's He's got to go eventually so that there's an 18-inch brown that can grow into his spot. There's arguments that some sections of certain rivers that are fly fish, catch and release, no kill, are losing their overall number of fish because there's only a couple of big old fish living in there now that are just eating the small fish. And there's no, there's no middle class second or third year fish, you know, the 15-inch fish that we like to catch. Yeah, those are great. I I would catch 15 to 16 inch fish all day long. They fight more. They're more enjoyable. You get them to the boat and you're like, wow, I thought that was a bigger fish because they had something to live for, you know? (laughs) Right. If you get into a bar fight with somebody, who you get in a bar fight with? The 90 year old or a 25 year old? (laughs) Yeah. 90 year old has no fight left in them. No, no, it's totally true. Yeah. The 15, 16, 14, 15, 16 inches are, are amazing. And, and um, so, for those that don't know, the, the DOS boat was, is that a an actual meat eater um, thing, or is that through the Bent podcast thing? Uh, Bent came afterwards. I think Bent was um, Steve Ranella. He's a Michigan native. Steve brought oh, okay. over Joe Cermelli from Field and Stream. He was on Hook Shots. So, they brought Joe Cermelli over from Field and Stream slash Hook Shots to be part of the meat eater so das boat this was season two that i was in season one they just bought an old boat and they were just going across the country and fishing different it's it's actually a really cool concept 
Yeah. Um, I've seen a lot of people do the same thing. You don't have to have a brand new $100,000 Ranger to go catch bass on any lake, right? Lake Lady Rods builds distinctive custom rods, each created one at a time to the exact specifications for each angler. Custom built to be the most sensitive tool an angler could ask for, Lake Lady only uses world-class components and products. And I can definitely attest to this, the rod that Chris built for me is very, very unique, very clean, and very cool. A unique handle that you definitely is a one-of-a-kind handle, um, and he finishes up with a nice-looking rod and a clean finish. You are definitely going to have to check out what Chris has going right now. Chris shares a story of, of making a trip to a rod factory and connecting to some of the, some of the rod builders in the industry, and it kind of changed his life. So he's been doubling down on producing great rods that are one of a kind and unique, just as you are. Lake Lady also restores and builds uh, bamboo rods. Check out Chris at Lake Lady Rods right now, wetflyswing.com slash lake lady that's l-a-k-e-l-a-d-y you support this podcast by clicking over to check out lake lady now what about i had a couple more things just kind of some more random stuff here we had talked about maybe covering a little bit but um talk a little about on the uh the didymo what's going on there because it sounds like there's a yeah give us a little update there Rock's not. Uh, we were fishing with a buddy of mine who actually works for the tribe. He is a water quality specialist, and we were floating down the Manistee by my cabin. And he said, whoa, stop, back the boat up. And I said, what, did you snag something? He said, no. And there was a little piece of, it looked like algae on a log, and we grabbed it and put it in a Ziploc bag. He's, he did his Ph.D. work on Didymo in Tennessee. So he said, it looks like Didymo, and he took it back to the lab and emailed me later that day and said, sure enough, we have Didymo. And it's a very unique, we're paying attention. It may have come from the St. Mary's River. We need to be more vigilant on cleaning our boats, cleaning our waders, cleaning our boots. 10% bleach solution. It's going to stop the spread of these. This is an algae that will grow across the bottom of the river and clog up every pore in between rocks where all of your bugs live, your crayfish live, and nothing will exist. Um, And it's unique because the river, where it seems to do best, the river is low in nutrients and low in phosphorus. So even a river, and that can be at certain times of the year. It doesn't have to be you know, uh, all year long situation, but Mm -hmm. so we're watching the blooms. We're trying to pay attention to what's going to happen and how it spreads. I think this has also been a culmination of the past two years, more people canoeing and kayaking than ever before. And I don't think when you buy a kayak, there comes any instructions saying how to properly clean your boat. No, I mean, river usage, you know, all (laughs) everybody buys a boat and they're like, Let's go have a party, bring a keg of beer and throw it in a cooler and let's go down the river. Yep, exactly. And that's what they do. So you got another thing going on in the, in the Great Lake. I mean, overall, when you look at out there in, in that neck of the woods, I mean, does it feel like you there's just more things that are popping up that are making uh, fishing, you know, more challenging? Is this just another thing and not, not too huge of a deal? Let's say that we've got over 200 invasive species in the Great Lakes area, and that includes... Uh, flora and fauna, bugs, all kinds of, you know, we've got 
the New Zealand mud snail. We've got right. zebra quagga mussels. We've got the rusty crayfish. We've got phragmites. We've got uh, different millweeds and pondweeds and frog bite, all this different type of vegetation stuff. And it's very easy to bring it in on a boat or in a prop or in a, you know, somewhere. When you go to Montana and you bring a boat in or bring a boat out, they stop you on the highway and check the entire boat. Yeah. And I think it's going to get that way in the Great Lakes. Our hardest part is the fact that we're neighbors with Canada and we've got a lot of water that we need to cover. That's who's going to enforce that. How do we, how do we enforce that? Right. We need to get the word out. We need to get more people aware of taking, we need to get into a, a practice of hygiene and cleaning our stuff before we go from river A to river B. Yep. I have a pair of waders that I keep at home for fishing on the Jordan. I have a pair of waders on the Manistee that I wear just on the Manistee. And that's just how it is. Yep. That's it. That's it. It's just going to continue to be something we got to be aware of and vigilant about and all that stuff. So that's, uh, that's a good point. I mean, it seems like obviously the, like we talked today, there's a, there's a ton of fishing resource, you know, opportunities, which sounds pretty amazing there, but there's also lots of things you got to be thinking about to stay. Like you said, this is just one of them. Um, and, and what other, you know, if, if, again, I'm coming there, if I'm going to be coming there with you for a week and we're going to be like heading out fishing, what else should I be thinking about to prepare for, to make sure, you know, I make the trip good. And let's just take it to, we mentioned that springtime period. If I had to pick one time, when, when would you, when would I get out there? When would you want me to get out there? May, uh, second part of May, we will see bugs and we won't have the numbers of people here yet. I think the first week in June is like the cutoff because we have drakes and that dry fish, dry fly fishing for drakes can be awesome. We don't have the numbers of people and you can still get into a nice 20 inch fish. Once hex happens, everybody and their brother comes out the middle of June, end of June. And it's, there's 30 boats down the river in your favorite section of water and mm. you have to tolerate it and smile and do it again the next night. Um, yeah. <laughs> and you're a zombie, you're a zombie by the end of, by, by the 4th of July, you're, you're living on fumes and Red Bull. So in no coffee, kidding. just drinking coffee. Um, <laughs> yeah, I would tell you that no matter where you come from, work on your casting, get very proficient at casting and not working your arm so much. Use the rod so that you can enjoy being on the water for eight hours. I get a lot of guys that they, they poop themselves out by the first half of the day because they're, they're beating yeah. themselves up instead of letting the rod do the rod's job. Right, right. Get some casting lessons. Go in your backyard or go on a pond and put a hula hoop out there and put a frisbee in the middle of the hula hoop and see if you can't hit that frisbee nine out of ten times. That's right. With a with a seven or eight weight with a little bit heavier. Absolutely, absolutely. Yep. Is wind much of a factor out there? It can be, but usually the, the river corridors that we're going down are protected by either ridges or the trees that are behind us. Your your biggest, most frustrating factor is snagging into trees behind you on your back cast. Yeah. So becoming proficient at roll casting, even with a streamer, even on big water. If I had a, a father-son from South Carolina, I believe, and the son just sat down the entire time in the boat and he roll cast the entire day. I was like, how... A, thank you, awesome, but B, huh. he said, I just grew up my whole life learning how to roll cast, and he could yeah. he could lay out a line 50, 60 feet on a roll cast, and it was amazing, so 
he had an awesome day. No kidding. Mm-hmm. He wasn't even have to stand up. He was just sitting nope. there roll casting. I've got a lot of guys that can, if, if you take a few casting classes, they will, they'll help you get better at executing the roll cast. Yeah. 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 The roll cast is huge. And, uh, well, well give us before we get out of here, uh, a little TFO update. We, it's been a little while since we talked about, it. you must know as well as anybody what's going on. Any, um, any new lines coming out or what should somebody th- be thinking if they're going to be getting, say a streamer rod, what would you recommend? Streamer rod is definitely the Axiom 2X. We also have the Axiom 2, which is a little bit softer in the delivery. It's not as fast action. The Legacy I mentioned is a, is a wonderful power caster. It is modeled after everything that we did with Lefty Cray on the BVK, uh-huh. um, but it's just had a little bit of a tweak. We don't have anything new coming out for 2023. We do, but it's going to be an update on our classic Pro 2 rod, which is everybody seems like if you started out fly fishing, your first rod was a TFO Pro 2 Lefty Cray series, you know, or the signature. Signature 2 is Mm -hmm. almost in everybody's arsenal because the price point is right. Yeah. As a restaurant guy, I use this analogy all the time. I could sell you a $30 bottle of wine or a $200 bottle of wine. Can you taste it and tell me the difference? I could give you an $800 rod or I can give you a $200 rod. Can you cast better with 800? Maybe. The 200, though, is going to give you many more years of enjoyment. Uh, Our warranty is still outstanding. We're $35, send that rod in. We will get it fixed to you. And hopefully, even though this world has changed so much, (laughs) yeah. We want to get that rod back to you within five business days from the time that we get it in Dallas. But sometimes shipping is becoming a a nightmare. Right. You know, it's amazing to me is we live in a world today where we're so fast satisfaction. We want, we want it now. We want it now. Yep. Go oh, to yeah. Amazon. Yes. Right. Amazon prime. Yep. If you would have told me 10 years ago that 2022, I'll be able to pick up my phone and have somebody do all my grocery shopping for me. And I can drive up to the grocery store and somebody's going to bring me out a bag of all my groceries. Yep. I would have told you you're nuts. We are such a, a lazy, simple society where we need to get back to the outdoors, recalibrate, reset, defrag our brains and engage with the outdoors. I think that's why we're seeing so much more of this explosion from the outdoor industries. People are finding that this is what makes us happy and we need to all share the resources and share it with respect and and take care of that spot that wherever you go take out some trash you know make it a cleaner place I like that uh that's definitely a, a key you know obviously you're out there we're trying to yeah <laughs> keep things better than how we we found them right just like anything um who are the you know you mentioned Blaine who are the TFO because like lefty all the big names you know TFO was kind of known for that like um Rick was able to, to get these huge names on. Who, who's out there now with TFO? Who's their their big names? Well, we've got Rob Fordyce. Um, he's super huge. Uh, Jake Jordan, Flip Pallet, um, Bob Clauser. Oh, yeah. Uh, there's a few other ones. that uh, Jason Randall is our guy in the Driftless area who's come up with the uh, Stealth Rod for yep. Euronymphing. Absolutely yep. phenomenal. Um, but I think we're also trying to pay attention and calibrate, figure out 
we're trying to predict the next five, 10 years down the road. What are people looking at? What makes them want to follow a company and buy into the magic sauce? Right. You know, there's so many Instagram, whatever, uh, social media influencers out there. Yeah. I don't want to mention any names, but somebody's out there and they've got 30,000 followers on Insta. And does that make them a legit or better fly angler? No, they've got, (laughs) they've got promotional followers. They've got truck companies buying into them. It's, it's, we've got to somehow wade through the masses of all this fog and find out what is legit and what really speaks to us on a, on a personal level. And I think Mm -hmm. that's the hardest thing for the industry right now to figure out what direction we're, where are we going to be in five years? (laughs) Yeah. That's a good question. It's your business, my business, our, who's, who's going to be in business. Right. Everything's changing very fluidly within a a 24 hour period. Yeah. It's, it's crazy right now. So it's hard for any, any, it's hard to figure it out. Yeah. Try to make a prediction for next year. I know. I think the the thing that I try to do is, um, you know, start with like listening to our, you know, our listeners, right? You know, and and then and then just, I mean, it's e- I guess maybe it's easier for us because it's all about telling stories, you know. I mean, and I'll take it back to that story because you started at the to- start talk uh, the start of this talking about being uh, homeless, and I mean that's so powerful that you said that, you know what I mean? Because think of that. I had an uncle who was homeless. And, um, and I was embarrassed to even tell anybody about it. You know what I mean? Like my uncle was, I mean, it was embarrassing and I didn't really tell anybody. He literally died on the streets, Uh, you know, like we couldn't help him. And, uh, and, but you came straight out right at the start and said you were home. I mean, what, you know, like that's a pretty powerful thing for you. What gives you, what, what, you know I mean? How are you so confident that, you know what I mean? You are okay saying that. I think, uh, the growth, the the culmination of of places where we've all been gets us to where we are today. And I think that if if I can't use my my experience, uh, I was watching. I listened to Joe Rogan while I'm tying flies, mm-hmm. and he was talking the other day with uh, a comedian Ari Schiffer, I think, and they were oh. talking about Anthony Bourdain and his suicide. You know how you look at a person whose life is coming together. They're getting all the things that they thought they had and they weren't happy inside. You know, I, I wasn't happy with myself at a certain age cause I was supposed to be a doctor. I was supposed to be a mm. lawyer. I, I was supposed to be somebody successful and I was just a bartender at Flanagan's and that just, you know, I, I got caught into that trap where every day in order for me to sleep on the streets, I had to, get drunk or I wasn't mm. sleeping. So it was, it was that never ending battle of, it's just a vicious circle. And if you don't, if you don't grow a set of balls to be able to say, I'm done with this, I need to make a better decision for my life. You've got to do it and then fully engage and go forward with it. If I don't do something today to try to help other people that are in that same situation, mm-hmm. I'm almost just as much of a failure as I was back then. In my own eyes. And I, I get a lot of people that will come in my boat. I'll drink coffee all night long. And we'll talk about all the world that you have when you're inside a, a boat. It's really small because you get to know your, your clients. You're, you're spending 12 hours on the, the water with them and they know you. And it's 
it's a very scary place sometimes. It's a very happy place sometimes, but there's a lot of reality that happens when you're on the river. Yeah. We all think about that, right? The, the meditative thing you're out there on the water. And I mean, is that, that must've been a big part for you getting back into fly fishing, just being able to have a place to, uh, kind of just go to, right. When you, when you're struggling, when you, when you felt like you were going back to that bad place. I think it's, it's my serenity. It's your serenity. We all go to different rivers to find different things, but I think at the heart of it all, we're finding something that's very similar. You know, it's, it's getting us back to a place that brings it all together for us. You know what I mean? It, it quiets Mm -hmm. our mind and that's why I tie flies. I don't tie flies because I'm good at it. I tie flies because it really helps me feel better. Yeah, exactly. No, this is, yeah, it's pretty, uh, I mean, this is an amazing story, you know, because I think that after all this, you know, anybody who has struggles, right, they could, there could be all sorts of struggles, but the bottom line is you know, like sticking with it and realizing it's not the end of the world. And I mean, you're a great example of that. I mean, like now you're, you're on top of your game, right? You're, you're, you're kind of leading the way out there. So that's, it's pretty cool to see. We have struggles everybody, every day, you know, I've got a 17 year old daughter and an eight year old daughter. There's struggles every day. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah. What's, what's your advice with the, uh, the eight year old daughter? I mean, how, what's the difference between the eight year old daughter and the, and the older daughter? Like which one's harder? The eight year old, the eight year old and her and I will go out and we'll hunt mushrooms and bugs and in my world, she, her world, it's all awesome. And we have a great time. 17 year old. I don't think she really cares if I exist or not right now. Yeah. So it's hopefully we come, we come around full circle in a few years. I, I yep. think the best thing about kids is give it a few years. It will change. Yeah. I think we right. were all there once, but I try to lead by example and try to be the best dad and husband. Yes. I can be, um, what else yep. can you do? But yeah, I think you're right. Lead by example. I, I remember my, I had this story of my dad. I always love going back to this because there was a time in my life where I was hanging around with the wrong kids in high school or it was like just after high school and, and I was getting into some trouble, you know what I mean? And my dad came to me and, and he didn't say much, you know, but he just said, you need to think about who you're hanging out with. Yeah. And it was, it was very simple, but I remember it now to this day and, and I really, you know, eventually went away from those kids. And, and yeah. but I mean, like that can be it. You get around the wrong kids and, and it's just, man, it's, it's a scary thing. But I mean, I think you're there for them, right? That's the bottom line. Yep. It's powerful. You gotta be. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. The other thing too is, you know, you, you gotta give props to people like you doing what you're doing because I get to sit down and tie flies and listen to stories of somebody like Tim Flagler, who I'm going to meet mm-hmm. this weekend, who I never knew was a surfer. And that's oh, nice, right. You know, and his whole story on getting going with fly tying was selling candles. I what know. a, what a crazy, what? <laughs> yeah. Wasn't <laughs> you that know? great? Everybody, all the people you talk to, they're just, yeah. um, the artist guy who his daughter set up his podcast yep. for him because she yep. worked for a law firm in New York. I'm like, <laughs> I know. I know. Now he's got one of the, one of the great podcasts, you know, yeah. kind of the West, the West with the steelhead stuff. How all of our worlds are intertwined. Um, and it's all because we have a passion for being on the water. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I know it all comes back to that. Literally fly fishing. Yes. Fly fishing is the, is the connection. I mean, we all have that. That is our connection. And, and what will give me before we get out of here, the, the, I love the fun facts. So, so what's your, if you weren't fly fishing, if you weren't kind of doing what you're doing, what is your other hobby? Maybe you'd be going pro in. Wow. Uh, 
you know, I, I love to cook and I love oh, wow. to cook because I wouldn't do it as a profession. Otherwise I wouldn't love to cook. <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm saying? I've, yeah. I've paid attention to many of the, the best chefs I've worked in the chop house in Detroit and Grand Rapids. And I've watched a lot of professionals and I love using, you know, we're in Northern Michigan. I go to the farmer's market every week. That's part of what makes fishing with me unique. I grab stuff from the farmer's market and bring it on our lunches so that we have farm fresh, you know, apples or cheeses or something that you can't get anywhere else. And I mean, we're in Northern Michigan when the cherry capital of the world. Oh, is that right? Yes, we are. Oh. Traverse City is the cherry capital, and we've got some awesome, awesome things to showcase. And I think, why not have fresh produce when you're on the river? There's nothing better than an apple that somebody just oh, yeah. out of an orchard down the road. Yeah, it's huge. It's yeah, I love playing in the kitchen. It's yeah. fun. It's enjoyable. There you go. There you go. That that makes that makes perfect sense with the, with the uh, the DOS boat because you're going to cook up a nice brook trout, right? A nice recipe, but you, you with morel mushrooms and yeah. albino asparagus, little fiddlehead ferns. It would have oh, been wow. awesome. Yes, <laughs> that's good. Well, it, take it out of here with give me your fly. You probably already mentioned this, but two streamers that you're going to be if we're out there April May. What 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 am I putting on my um the end of my uh, leader? Sex Dungeon and Circus Peanut or the Peanut Envy. That's yeah, really that's it. two flies I've got to have all the time. Uh, get down, get dirty, uh, olive and yellow or uh, tan and gold. Tan and gold, tan and gold. All right. And uh, and if we want to take this, obviously, I know I've had some plenty of streamer folks on, but who, where would we send people to learn a little bit more about the streamer game? Where would you send them? You've got to own the streamer book by Kelly Gallup. Uh, streamers, uh, he's got volume one and volume two. They are the Bible for all of us fly guys. Um, yep. Rich Strollis and Mike Schmidt, both of those guys are excellent fly tires, and they both have books on fly tying as well. They've tied some awesome, awesome patterns. There's a lot of, there's so much. A lot of people get their start in the Midwest before they go wherever else they go in the world, or they come from somewhere else and they come here and they play the streamer game for a little while and they go where they came from. Yeah, exactly. Now yeah, that's that's huge. Okay, well, I guess uh, cause I think I think we've done a good job here um, getting to know you a little bit. This has been this has been fun and definitely you've surprised me a few times. So I think I, I think I'll leave it at that and just say thanks for putting this together we, we can send everybody out to truenorthtrout.com if they want to connect with you absolutely i'm also on facebook instagram and youtube channel love to love to connect with people and show people some of our water you know we've got we've got some special things around here yeah and, and i hope to get some people up there and hope myself i can get up there and and do this like in fact this year I would love to uh, connect with you, or and at a minimum, we'll, we'll get some people going your way. And uh, yeah, thanks again for taking the time. This has been a lot of fun, and uh, we'll, we'll keep in touch with you. Absolutely. Love to get you on the water. So there you go. If you want to find the show notes, all the links, everything else we covered, wetflyswing.com slash 311-311. We are rolling, rolling this baby along. Before we head out of here, you can check out right now the giveaway we have going. I think we've got multiple giveaways, but if you go to wetflyswing.com slash giveaway, you are definitely either going to get a big trip or a major, major unbelievable product. So check it out right now and join that giveaway and fingers crossed, fingers crossed. 
Okay, I think I am going to roll. I want to thank you again for being a big listener, a big supporter, and a big person. I appreciate you and appreciate everything you do for this podcast. If you get a chance this week or today and you want to share this episode or any other, we would appreciate it. And check in with me, Dave, at Wet Fly Swing. If you have anything you need, any feedback, anything else, I would love to hear from you. Um, Send me a message and I will talk to you then. See you online or see you on the river. Thanks for listening to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. For notes and links from this episode, visit wetflyswing.com.